Good afternoon. This is Everyman Radio. Uh, my name is Chris, and I'm here with my colleague Dustin. Uh, this is a place where we prayerfully speak the truth. We are two Christ-following men who seek truth, and we seek to communicate that truth to you, our audience. Truth is something that we believe is constantly warred upon by by the power the powers that be in this world, um, the intelligentsia who are the ambassadors of the anti-truth movement. They seek to accomplish the following things. They want to replace truth with lies. They want to dispense with natural law and thereby dispense with your natural rights. They want to centralize power. They want to enslave the people by reducing them to mere producers dedicated to the perpetuation of this state-run machine. They want to usher in a bleak and Babylonian regime that denies the existence of God and the spirit in you and, and, and your soul. They want to accomplish all of these things by promising more and more certainty in exchange for your liberties. Um, however, here at Everyman Radio, what, what we're trying to engage this generation, and this is what we're, we're here to do the following. We want to say that God is perfect civilization. When a society seeks God and honors truth, we become blessed with civilization, stability, and prosperity. The one true triune God is the only source of absolute truth. We do our best to contemplate that truth, to seek Him, and what that means for us. There are some very grave ways in which our society differs from that contemplated by the founding generation. The Constitution at this point is practically irrelevant. Lastly, we will illuminate the lies that come through the influence of the mainstream media, how it misrepresents Christianity, and, the and how the established wealthy are trying to destroy the people by encouraging corruption. Um, Dustin, so today, uh, why don't you just enlighten us? What's, what's, on your, what's on your heart right now, brother? Well, first of all, I'd like to start with um, a reading of the scriptures in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. And I think we can use this as a foundation by which we can uh, discern and understand the times and see what it is that God may be trying to communicate to us and what we can do with that. Um, starting at verse 1, the scripture reads this way. It says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. So I think what stood out to me there as I, as I meditated on that were that there were three things that the scripture says that in the last days people will love. They will be lovers of self, they will be lovers of money, and they will be lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. So I think we can use that as, um, as, as a foundation to begin to look at the, um, the practical and relevant things in society today to see how these things are actually occurring. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, all, all those things, I think, 
you know what I what I like about that verse is, you know, I, I had a I had a meeting this morning with a Christian brother, and you know, we discussed sort of this idea that uh, history or or politics or even culture it's a it's a pendulum, and um, you know, I was, I was actually telling him about something that my brother-in-law said that was that history or politics is a pendulum. Um, and, you know, I don't get to see my brother-in-law very often. So, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't really, uh, take it upon myself to, you know, espouse my severe, I, I severely dis, I, I disagree with that, that idea wholeheartedly. You know, I don't, I don't think that history is, is a, or politics is a, is a pendulum. And I don't think that culture is a pendulum. I, I think things are steadily getting worse. Right. You know? And I, I think that the scripture makes that very clear. And to us who are, who are watching, we can understand that it, it seems very obvious to us as we read the, the news, we, we look at the entertainment that's being um, promoted to the culture today, and evil is becoming more overt. Mm-hmm. I think that's very lucid. And as we look at some of the articles that maybe we'll discuss today, um, the Christian needs to remember that one of the admonitions to the Christian is that he's to keep himself unspotted from the world. Mm -hmm. And we have to understand what the world is. Well, it's the lust of the flesh, it's the lust of the eyes, and it's the pride of life. These things are not of the Father. Um, But they are of the world, and the prince of the power of the air, the God of this world, is using these means to blind the eyes of them who do not believe. Mm -hmm. Um, So we need to keep ourselves separate, unspotted from these things, because literally they want to control the mind. Yeah. We see that, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, and we were looking yesterday at, you know, some of the, just the blatant symbolism in, in our, you know, like you said, at pop culture. And I, I was seeing on, you know, the, a few articles on about the Grammys and, you know, they were, they talked about how Katie, you know, Katie, Katie, yeah, Katie Perry, she, I guess, you know, her, her little dance routine at, at the Grammys was in, incredibly alarming. And, you know, I, I remember being young and, and watching the Grammys and seeing, you know, these stars getting up and, and, you know, I, I think, and I think going, going along with that idea, history, you know, it's, it's not a, you know, politics and culture, it's not, it's not a pendulum. Because things weren't like this when I was young. I mean, th- I think they were steadily, they were heading in this direction. Right. You know, but what, you know, the, the routine that Katy Perry went through on the Grammys, I mean, Natalie Grant walked out apparently, and then E had tweeted that they weren't, and now keep in mind, this is E, they're not Christians, you know, but, or, or I, you know, I don't want to say that. They could be, but the thing is, it's likely that they, they represent, you know, just the, the, common perception of, of the world. Was it E that w- was, that had initially um, said that they were no longer going to host Duck Dynasty? No, was that, that was a That was a Yeah. Okay. But, but, you know, a, uh, E tweeted after the Katy Perry performance that they weren't sure whether or not they had actually just witnessed, witnessed witchcraft. And, you know, that should tell you something. If, if, some, if you know, a group of people that do not have or, or possi- likely do not have you know the the spirit the sensibilities that are keen to the spirit to spirit world and the spiritual warfare that goes on for the souls of of mankind 
and if they're if they're questioning whether or not they just saw witchcraft, I mean that should tell you that, you know, the the direction or this increase of of sort of mainstreaming the occult, the occult yeah, right. is it's on the rise and and you know we we're looking at also you know the dance routine by Beyonce and Jay Z, you know and. I mean, what did that look like to you? I mean, it's like basically a husband sort of pimping out his wife, right? Exactly. I, mean, I don't think any um, reasonable and right-minded husband would be at all pleasured by seeing his wife parade herself around and, and frankly, wearing virtually nothing. And, and, and that was, apparently that was um, something to be celebrated and, and, and grandized. But I think another thing, too, when you're talking about the occult is that we need to understand that at the root of the occult is mind control. And where the minds are being shaped by the influences that are being, that these mediums are putting out. And the, the believer has to step back. We have to step back because on one hand, they're putting these things before us. And they're entertaining us and, and satiating our desires and the lusts for entertainment. And, and these things that they're telling us are acceptable. And they're saying that these things are permissible in culture and in society and in the youth. And at the same time, by sleight of hand, our rights are being eroded. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that we'll, we'll take a look, too. I think we want to discuss an article that um, was, uh, was it the Wall Street Journal that uh, published that article by Ted Cruz, who yeah. discussed um, what the Obama administration was doing. He referenced it, you know, the, the idea that of lawlessness, yeah. um, that Obama now, by using the pen and using a phone, can override Congress and yeah. usher in whatever he whatever wants. He wants yeah. And they were talking about, you know, Ted, Ted Cruz talked about Montesquieu, you know, who had, who had a heavy, heavily influenced the founders. And I just want to, rem, I just want to, you know, reframe the conversation, but what we're talking, you know, what we're talking about is, is the way that culture is shaped not only by pop culture, but also by politics. And uh, like we've been saying, you know, there's, there's the increase in sexual laxity, while the government in the back door is taking away the notion of private property and destroying the conception of the family. So, That's right. so you know, Ted, like uh, back to Ted Cruz, you know, he's, he talks about, he brings up Montesquieu and Montesquieu says, you know, that it's in, you, you wrote the spirit of the laws, the spirit of the laws. And, you know, you can, you can recognize a, a certain type of tyranny when the executive branch begins uh, encroaching on the on the legislative branch, so when the when the when the legislative powers are also vested in the executive branch, that signifies tyranny. And you know, we were talking about a Supreme Court case uh, yesterday. I think I think is Windsor v. United States, but it was it was where the executive branch refused Obama President Obama refused to uphold the Defense of Marriage Act. You know, an act brought into Existence by the will of the people, by the democratically elect, elected representatives, you know, during the Clinton administration that defines marriage as a union between a man and a woman. And now you've got the, what we're being told, you know, by the executive branch is that they're no longer going to uphold that law. That in itself is lawlessness. It I mean, is. I mean, because Article One charges the executive branch with, with faithfully 
executing the laws. Right. You know, and if, if he's not executing the laws, and so this, 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 what you've, what you've got is both a failure to execute an existing law and then the promise to make law, whether or not Congress wants it or no. Right. You know, and so, and, and it really an abolition of a current law yeah. that was constitutionally enacted. Um, and I think, you know, this goes to back to what you were saying at the beginning of the show when you said that the constitution was, and this is my words, but all intensive purposes, it's not relevant because it's not relevant on in the debate as to what government can and can't do anymore. Yeah. Um, when these, when these, these questions arise as to different policies or different directions that the government will, will take, it's no longer a real question as to whether that is constitutional or not. Federalism in many ways no longer exists. And if you don't have federalism, the constitution is ineffective. That's true. It's, it is designed to limit the general or the federal government. It imposes very clear, um, restraints restraints on the government. And if they, if they don't have those, then, um, the, as the president is doing and has done for for decades now, that that office many presidents many presidents yeah. right had for decades have have augmented the power of the central government in yeah. into way into areas that it was never designed to be involved in. Yeah. yeah, and it was like that. You know, Ted Cruz was saying that the Supreme Court has already had to stave off nine attempts by the Obama administration to expand federal power, you know? And I mean, like we're, and so when you got things that become the norm in, in Washington, the, the sad thing is that pe- I think people stop paying attention really, because, you know, at first it's kind of, it's, it's a huge faux pas. Everybody's in, everybody's just aghast, you know? I mean, when Bill Clinton did what he did with Monica Lewinsky, I mean, it was just scandal. You know, but right. I mean, now we've got a president who, I mean, apparently a few uh, a few days ago or something, his his pot dealer when he was young, who was a homosexual, uh, apparently he was murdered by his, his partner, murdered by his gay partner, brutally murdered. Um, what does that have to do, really, with the president? Well, I mean, just, these are the quality of men we're electing. Yeah, these these are the. I mean, you can you can tell something by someone. Uh, about sort of from the people they associate themselves with. Sure. You know, I mean, you know, if you're if you're President Obama and you you know you've got ties, he's got ties to people like Jeremiah Wright, you know, and Bill, what is it, Bill Ayers, that communist, he was like a communist, yep. um, who was indicted, I think, on federal charges for subversion or something. Or, but you know, I mean, you've, now, it, I mean, back back in the day, you know, I, I think. A hundred years ago, if if it was if it was publicized that the president was you know doing drugs or something, obviously presidents have been shady for a very long time. I mean, you know, there have been alcoholics, there have been you know womanizers. JFK was a, a terrible womanizer, but the thing was, those things weren't made public, so the public hadn't had the opportunity to accept that as the status quo. Right. But now now it's public. They, they still, at that time, they must have felt the need to keep those things... Secret. Exactly. Yeah. And now they understand that the public at large is willing to accept the moral turpitude that is that is so prevalent now. Yeah. Um, 
So I think that all of these things are examples and expressions of what Second Timothy chapter three is is talking about. Um, and so we need to be aware of those things and understand that these things are having a very inimical effect on our society at large. Yeah. And we should, as, as a society, as a nation, as a group of people, determine that these aren't acceptable, that this isn't the way we're going to, this isn't the society we want. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, I think that that's a very... Uh, Not likely. Re- no, it's a reasonable question yeah, because yeah. It, it seems that the that the majority of Americans are perfectly fine with being entertained in this fashion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and we were, you know, I was looking at some pictures of, um, you know, Rihanna and and Kesha and Jay Z and Kanye West, you know, and you see, and you know, it's crazy because their music is catchy. You know, it's very, very catchy. popular very, amongst I mean, the, the it, younger generation. It is, yeah. I mean, I even find it to be catchy. Obviously, I don't listen to it because of what it represents. But, I mean, you know, and I was looking at some pictures, and they, I, I was checking out some some of the clothing that they were wearing, and then I got a little curious because, you know, I had seen some of these crazy looking symbols on on some of the these shorts that Jay Z was wearing, and. So I looked it up, and there's actually a, a brand out there, and it's, I think I think it's called KTZ, but it's uh, there's KTZ, and then I'm not sure if it's the same brand, but there's another brand called Killstar, and uh, you know you can look it up. I think it's Killstar.com, but I mean it, it's an example of how these occult type practices are are coming more into the light, into the mainstream, and I mean I saw a shirt that said God is dead, right, and they're full of. Uh, pentagrams and other pentagrams. satanic occult symbols, yeah. which we know that the cult uses symbolism to communicate. Yeah. Like these, these symbols are not innocuous; they're not meaningless. No. To them, to those who understand, to I would quote unquote the enlightened is how they refer to themselves. The high, you know, thirty third degree Freemasons, the Illuminati. These people who under who believe that they are the enlightened ones, they this is like a higher level form of communication that goes beyond words, and they affect the spirit realm. Yeah, and these things have an effect on the ignorant who are wearing these things, who are promoting these things, who find these things cool or whatever it may be. What they need to understand is they are themselves being affected and influenced by the occult. Well, when you when you wear, you know. I like the Denver Broncos. Mm-hmm. I have a Denver Broncos shirt. So if you see me with a Denver Broncos shirt, you know what that tells you about me is that I'm a patron. Right. I'm, I'm a patron. I, I, I sort of support, I endorse what they do to an extent. Sure. I mean, to an extent that's reasonable, that's within my you're knowledge. I'm a fan, right? So what's, and like you're saying, what's sad about these youth is that these, these symbols are, are being barbarously hammered into the into the minds into the subconscious and they begin wearing them and they don't under, they don't even understand what it is that they're that they're un, unknowingly advocating right you know that and, they're patrons of yes and we're not so naive to think that the occult is is is, is ha, ha, was not was not as popular or as uh, prevalent or ubiquitous um, you know, years past, the cult has always been there and Satanism and Luciferianism has been there. But what I think we're seeing is that they recognize that they no longer need to hide or conceal or be clandestine about what they're doing. Yeah. 
And that to me is more alarming because it is more overt. It is more um, out in front and being pushed and imposed on the public and the public is receiving it. And even Putin came out and um, decried the West. (laughs) You know, we're talking about Vladimir Putin, who is not necessarily historically from what we understand. He hasn't been a pinnacle of a masculine virtue. Virtue, (laughs) You know, this man came out and and basically stated that the West was godless. Yeah. And he made some very good points yeah. um, that we ought to take seriously. I even think one of the um, one of the leaders of the is it the it's it's an Orthodox Church, isn't it? It's the Russian Orthodox Church. Right. One of the, the, they, they call him the Archbishop okay. of the Russian Orthodox Church. Yeah, one of the leaders came out and said, you know, we understand what it is to have a society without God. Yeah. And then he said, basically, you know, we are trying to announce to the world vehemently that mm. that is not the course to take. Yeah. Do not assume or go down the path of a society that has, has rejected God. Yeah. But what do you think? I mean, you think well, in the schools, have we not rejected God? Absolutely. I mean, and like we've talked about before, man, it's, you know, it, it is without a doubt child abuse, in, in my opinion, to allow your child, as, as a Christian, to allow your child to be exposed to the messages of, of public education. Because in, you use the term innocuous, and there's a lot of people who think that, you know, what, what the state does is it comes along and it says, listen, you're, you're busy, you, you're working, you're, you're working class, you know. You need two incomes. You need two incomes. Listen, we'll, we'll take your children and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll take on the monumental, massive, colossal task of educating <laughs> them, you know, and, and you don't worry about it. But Don't busy yourself yeah, with that. Exactly. And so what they think is, or, or what, what's communicated to us is that, you know, the state is, they're going to be some, this sort of innocuous agency that's going to, in a very neutral way, um, educate your children. Well, I think if you, if you believe that, you need to seriously examine what, what level of delusion you might be under, because that's not the case. In fact, you know, the, the state makes it a point, I believe, to uh, centralize the message. You got things like Common Core. Right. You got things like, um, you know, uh, No Child Left Behind um, legislation that, you know, it. The, the goal really is to is is to shape the mind. It's to shape the conscience, and it's to it's to get mankind in a position that it will reject God and it'll accept the practices that come along with human pride and with uh, this uh, this Babylonian mentality. Right. And let's be honest. These this evil is astute. They understood that they could incrementally over time through the process of education shape the minds of the youth all, all the way through adulthood and 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 then perpetuate this mentality or this belief system that now has created a society that is ripe for tyranny it is ripe for godlessness mm-hmm. and it is exactly what is necessary and what is required to usher in what they want to do yeah. and you know back to the education you know another point i'd like to make is that we need to remember as parents um you know it is an abdication of duty to turn over the 
responsibility of the training and maintenance and education of your child to any other, especially when that other is directly antithetical to the Christian doctrine. We cannot think that we can allow our children to be subjected for eight, nine hours a day to a program that is hostile to Christianity and then think that when they come home for the one, two, three hours of the day that they get to spend with parents that are tired after working and typically the TV's on and that that the parents are going to be the primary influence in the child's life. Mm Unfortunately, I think we're sadly mistaken if we if we come to that conclusion. No, absolutely. And you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something that I think is probably gonna be very controversial. Um, but you know, I, I would say if if you're a Muslim and you're listening, or if you're a Buddhist, or if you're uh, of, of any other religious persuasion outside of we talk a lot about Christianity because we're Christians. But listen, if if I'll take for example, if you're a Muslim. This this applies to you to some degree. Do, do you want the do you want the education system indoctrinating your child? I mean, to some extent, you you want to decide what it is that your child is learning. And honestly, I would rather see what what the West is the, the this sort of intellectual parade or, or, or circus that the the West and Western nations are are advocating is this idea that there's many ways up the mountain, you know, and, That's and, right. and with, within religions, you know, we can have our disagreements, you know, I mean, I, I, I think Christianity is the truth. So ipso facto, I think, I believe Islam is not the truth. I believe Buddhism is not the truth. They may have remnants of the truth, right? But I believe that ultimate truth comes in, is found in the Christian doctrine. Now, as a Muslim, you believe that, Christianity is not the truth. Buddhism is not the truth. But Islam is the truth. That's what you believe. But I'm telling you, the West and, and, and the powers that are involved that we're talking about, you know, that are behind these educational policies, what they want to do is they want to amalgamate all the, all the religions into one religion. And that, to me, that's, that's a bane. That is an offense to all religious people, no matter what your religious persuasion is. Because what, what they are essentially saying is that all religions teach the same thing. And that is not true. We know that's not true. Now, I believe that I, I believe in the First Amendment. And I believe that, you know, if, if you want to practice whatever particular faith, you have a right to do that. But what I don't like is when the federal government comes along and it's trying to synthesize and it's almost as if they're trying to create this super religion and it's called secular humanism. Right. And so they're trying to get you to, to in a position to put your children into this system, Buddhist, Muslim, Christian, Hindu, Taoist, Zen Buddhist, whatever. It, it doesn't matter. There's many other religions, Sikh, Jains. I mean... The thing is, your your children are not going to be taught what you want them to be taught. They're not going to be taught the fundamental doctrines that you that you believe in. So, you know, I, I believe that what we're saying is not particular. It's actually what's sad about it is it's not particularly controversial. No, right? it's not. I mean, it's the bedrock of who we are as a nation, right? Right. Right. Um, and you know, I think this what you're talking about this unification or this um, this idea that 
all religions truly are the same. It's undergirded by this idea of tolerance, which is now, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it's almost presumed upon today that the intolerant or the fundamentalists are the problem. And so then to actually truly believe anything, you are deemed intolerant. Yeah. To take a position, a very staunch position on anything is, um, is unnecessary. Yeah. And that is actually a sad position to be because as, as, as men, we ought to have the dignity that's represented by having deep conviction yeah. and making decisions based on conviction. And obviously as Christians, our convictions come from the truth, the word of God, and that acts as a, um, as the moderator or the arbiter of what we say, do and think and believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that needs to pervade out into all areas of life. Mm-hmm. So the idea that we can compartmentalize religion, that doesn't really have any justification in scripture. No, it doesn't. Um, and you know, there's, there's a reason why, I mean, this whole, this whole idea in, right now of, of socialist capitalism that we're kind of dealing with, you know, it really is a facade because Either you have to be a either you have to be a communist or you have to be an advocate for the free market. The middle ground gets you in trouble, and this is why. Karl Marx was not a, a, a religious man, um, in in the sense of uh, there being a spirit world or, or or things that are unseen. You know, like for example, Nietzsche called Christianity Platonism for the masses, and, and Platonism is this idea that. That what's seen is actually a representation of the more perfect unseen. Um, and so people like Nietzsche, who was a socialist, and Marx, who is obviously the father of socialism, um, what, they're, what they're after is material materialism, and that is that there's nothing that really exists other than what you can see and touch. Um, and so this idea of, of there being socialism um, it's, it's really just to kind of take your eye off the ball. And, and it really is, you know, it, it's, it's a lot of promises. You know, Obama in his State of the Union address has, has given a lot of promises that, you know, he wants, he wants to do things that are, in his mind, good for the people. But that's what every ideologue says. Right. That's what every Chairman Mao and Lenin and Putin and, you know, I would even say uh, Eisenhower and, uh, you know, George Washington. I mean, all, all of these people are, they, they do do what is in their mind in the best interest of, of the people. But the but diff- some of those men were restrained by something exactly. called the law. Well, yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, and that's, that's where you get, you, you can notice a, a virtuous leader when he understands his bounds. Hey, that is exactly right. Jurisdiction, measure. Yep. Uh, just, so just because I have a good idea doesn't necessarily mean that I can go beyond my measure or the authority that's been delegated to me yep. and, and implement or initiate what I think is the best idea. Yeah. That, is, that, is, that is lawlessness. Yeah. And it's, not, it's the difference between wisdom and folly in, in, these, in many cases because you know, what, a, what an ignorant person like President Obama doesn't understand is that he's setting a precedent. I don't know his heart. He could be truly out for the best interests of the people. The problem, though, is that if you're, if you're a foolish person, 
then even your good deeds exactly. can cause more damage than than a terrible person's deeds because you're you're the most difficult person for society to detect. Ignorance and foolishness is the is the most difficult thing to detect. And so you're you're somewhat of a you know you're, you're somewhat of an outlier. I mean you're you know you're not particularly bad. You're kind of just mediocre. And that's what I would say about President Obama is he's he's profoundly mediocre. You know. <laughs> and I know that sounds bad, but you know, it's, and that's what makes him so difficult. So I, I honestly, I have, I have no doubt that he may be doing what's in his mind, the best in the best interests of the people, but he's setting a precedent so that whoever comes after him will have more power. And that individual may not have the best interests of the American people at mind right. at heart. And so Obama's not understanding that the, the, uh, the grave consequences of his ignorance, you know? Yeah. And it's, it goes back to this notion of, of having too much confidence in the nature of man. And that mm-hmm. the reason for the law is because men are fallible. And we want to protect society from, from men who are fallible, who don't always use power and position in the best interests of others because of what is what did the scripture say it said men shall be lovers of self self is the very problem Mm -hmm. yeah the the idea that we can in fact the cross the cross of christ is the direct repudiation of the self principle yeah um jesus christ denied the self principle when he obeyed the father and went to the cross and we are to deny the same yeah but we're not being told that in society. Mm-hmm. Basically, the message of Luciferianism is love yourself. Yep. Do what you want to do. And that's what you see coming from these people in culture is I do what I want to do. Yep. That is inherently sin. It is independence. It's denying the authority of, of the sovereign God, the creator, and taking the prerogative to, to go one's own way. Yeah. And we see that, we who have children, we see that from the earliest ages. We see the seeds of self. Yeah. And as, as, as parents, we need to, we obviously have to restrain and constrain and train children to prefer others before themselves because naturally we prefer ourselves. But what do you, I mean, do you think that, um, do you think that this, this notion of, of the president being lawless, do you think that we are, do you think that we're seeing the public accepting that as, as permissible or are you seeing that, or do you think the majority of Americans today recognize that as a problem, but we don't really know how to handle it from here? Well, I mean, I think it, I think it goes back to, you know, if, if you're a wise person, you can, you can see. What do you think wisdom is? I mean, wisdom, I mean, wisdom comes from, you know, I think there are measures of wisdom. Um, ultimate wisdom comes from God and it's knowing it's, it's having a profound understanding of, of the mysteries of, of the human condition. You know, it, it's sure. being, being able to, to understand that human beings are fallible and there's nothing we can do to lift ourselves up out of that situation apart from the, the, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ and our acceptance of that. Right. You know, there's, there's nothing that we can do. That, that's wisdom. And so, I mean, wisdom come, wisdom unlocks the mysteries of, of all of life's uh, tumult, mm-hmm. you know. And so to your question about President Obama, you know, I mean, 
the wise can the wise can identify both wisdom and folly but the foolish can't identify either so right. you know when the when the american people are and so what that's what really goes into the reasons behind uh you know this idea that we advocate which is you know more of an uh an individualist perspective on on society obviously tempered with you know familial duties and obligations but but you know we advocate a limited government um we advocate civil liberties um personal responsibility personal responsibility but more than anything we we advocate the the existence of natural law and natural rights you know this concept of unalienable rights the fact that you don't get your rights from a document a document doesn't memorialize your right to life liberty and property that right. that those rights come from god and so you know that that those are the things that we that we advocate and and the difference between a person who advocates those things and a person who is willing to throw away their liberties for this illusory these illusory promises by these officials the difference between these two camps of people is literally wisdom and folly right you are a, you are a fool if you are a socialist you are right. you are a foolish person because the state is not the panacea to men's problems and no. it never will be no. it can't offer the remedy um, the remedy is going through the the practical um, mundane if you will at times the difficulties the hardships of life that actually affect and impact character yeah and so if we can try to uh, change or, or shift the responsibility to the state, like you talked about, whether it be you know education or whether it be um, other times of social um, benefits, or even this idea, like you said, an illusory idea of, of even security itself. Yeah. If we can shift all these things to the state in exchange for liberties, then we're actually doing away with the very natural things that that. Are de- or that we are designed to go through to actually build character. Exactly. Yeah, and that's that's the thing about you know um, all of all of the programs the government initiates is the more expansive it becomes, the less the individual becomes subordinated right. to to the whims and the will of the state. And people think that the state, you know, there's this another fallacy that pervades our thinking is that. You know, democracy is is the best and and closest to ideal form of government. I mean, I, I would argue that democracy is a fallacy because, you know, we elect these leaders and then they turn and they do things that are very shocking to us. And, you know, I was approached one time by a liberal and he said, you know, he told me that we, we got into an argument about some of the things that Obama had done. And he said, well, you know, President Bush, you know, Good luck with him. He he he. You know he you know he did sign into law the Patriot Act, and I said, well, you know what, you know what the luxury. And this is what I told him. I said, you know what the luxury is of of being a a uh, conservative. I said it's this. I am never surprised at the indiscretions of our elected leaders, mm-hmm. whereas you, as a socialist. You are surprised because you therein put, lies the hope. You put your hope in this person. I mean, think about think about the people in Haiti in the early 1990s who 
uh, wanted so bad for uh, Bertrand Aristide to take power and, to, and for them to do away with a military-run government. And then when, when uh, I, I believe his name was Jean Bertrand Aristide, but when he took power, he did some things that were entirely antithetical to the reasons why the people, he started centralizing power. He started aggrandizing his life. He started, he got, he got so enthralled with the pomp and circumstance of being in power that he forgot all about all those promises he had made to people. And that is, that is the MO that is, that is the modus operandi of, of these people who, who claim they ride to power on the shoulders of the ignorant. And that, like I said, you know, and I've said this before, it's sort of a play on Nietzsche's you know, stance on Christianity, but I turn this around on socialism and I say socialism is the Kool-Aid for the masses. So don't they, don't they rely on or implicit in that is that the masses need to be ple- lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God? Because isn't that yeah. Kool-Aid offering them um, distractions and entertainments and decoys, if mm-hmm. you will, to satiate the masses and keep them busy with trivial, trivial things that don't matter, vanity and lies. Yeah. And, and at the same time is the diminishing of, of things like property rights or yeah. liberties that, that are basic. Your second amendment, right? Yes. That are, that are inalienable. And I think what we, what we mean by that when we say inalienable is that these rights are given to us by our creator and they're necessary. They're natural. They're natural and they can be discovered by reason. And those are, we're limited to those rights. We can't dream up other forms of rights or specious rights that deny or repudiate our duties. Yep. So our duty is to adhere to the moral law. In other words, to do unto others as I would have them do to me yep. and to refrain from, from abridging what would cause harm or injury to others. Yep. And so in the process of, of augmenting this idea of all kinds of rights, we were looking at an article yesterday of the Disney channels coming out with a new show where, um, it, it ha- a child in the show has two moms, and it's yeah. this idea of, of of same-sex households normalizing normalizing it. it right in the Disney Channel. This is this is obviously directed to the youth and society, and but it's the idea that this generation or this society is progressing, and we are realizing that new rights exist. Yeah. And at the same time, when we recognize these kinds of specious rights, inevitably we are going to do injury to real and legitimate rights. Yeah. Like the baker, that the case in Colorado where yeah. the baker didn't want to bake a cake for the homosexual wedding. And, and uh, a, dis, a judge in Colorado ordered him to either make the cake or pay a fine. Yeah. He said, they basically, you know, you need to hang up, you need to put your beliefs in the closet and just do as you're told sort of deal, you know, that your beliefs are subordinate, subordinate. It's this idea that we're talking about, you know, the, the more expansive government becomes in its role and, uh, you know, it, it starts subordinating the rights of, you know, other people. And, um, and again, we see here is the, this is essentially the liberalizing of sexuality. Yep. It's, it's saying that there all these forms of sexuality, no matter how untraditional they are or depraved or, um, repugnant to to the rational and reasonable person they are to be esteemed at the same level of 
what should be confined and and sacred in the marriage relationship. Yeah, and you know, and I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. I was thinking about this yesterday, and um, you know, we we were talking about gay marriage. We were talking about Proposition Eight and some of these cases that have come out of the Supreme Court. And, you know, I was thinking, and, and maybe, you know, maybe I'm starting to acquiesce a little bit. And if so, I need correction. But um, I'm thinking, what is wrong with civil unions? I mean, obviously, I don't agree with I don't agree with the homosexual relationship. I think it's I think it's a perversion. But, you know, I'm I don't hate gay people. I don't hate um I don't, you know, as a, as an individual person, you know, I don't, I would never ever harm them or, or speak, you know, ill of them on, on a, you know, some some may say that's a personal level to attack their, you know, orientation, but, you know, I, I wouldn't even say that, you know, you are you are damned um, as a person entirely just because of that one thing that you're doing. I mean, you know, people are in the condition they're in because. Because everyone shares common uh, common fallibility and, and original sin, and you know, I mean, so my, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. I'm not sure what you think about it, but you know, I think there's a, you know, it's obvious what the LGBTQ agenda is. They they want to call what they're doing marriage, right? Because they they want to make it the, like the same. Right. And so in the process of, of calling it marriage, they because the law is normative or it's instructive, it, it teaches us what is acceptable. Yeah. And, and so if they if they if they put it on the same plane as marriage, then what we're telling society is that it is it is just as justifiable and legitimate as the traditional mm-hmm. marriage, which we believe is between one man and one woman. Mm-hmm. So I think Obviously, that's the agenda, yeah. and it is. And, and and homosexuality, we need to make we no mistake about it. It is destructive to society. Yeah. Um, it is. It's it's destructive to the souls and bodies and spirits of, yeah. of of people who are engaged. But it's also destructive to the society at large. So you're asking about civil union. Yeah. I, what I'm saying is, you know, if I mean the because the thing is, I you know. I am for individual choice. Right. You know? So you're saying, but I, but I'm not for, because what, so, what's necessary to them calling it marriage is us accepting that it is the same thing as marriage, which you want, you're not willing to, which do. I'm not willing to do that, but, but you're also not willing to impose laws to, to prohibit yeah. the, the activity yeah, or even the domestic type relation. So if even even if the semantic difference is there, in my opinion, it what that does is it preserves both of our liberties. It preserves the liberty of the LGBTQ community and making the choice that they want to make and living the lifestyle they want to live. But it also means that I don't have to accept that as the same. Now, th- there's a difference between sameness and equality. Right, because the, you're saying the state doesn't, the state should not need to endorse that behavior and then give it the badge of legitimacy as uh, that we would call marriage. Yeah. You know, and, and the LGBTQ community would probably call it a badge of inferiority to not be considered the same. But what they need to understand is that I don't agree with your, with your practices. Right. Because it's not an immutable characteristic. No, we, we cannot put it in the same realm as race mm-hmm. and that's what they want to do. And yeah. that's what they use when they go and they play the equal protections, it's the civil of, rights of, of, issue. Yep, 
Amendment or the 14th Amendment. Um, so to answer your question, this is what I would say. I think you are raising a very interesting philosophical question, and that is that laws do not, law cannot cure society. Yeah. You, the law is not going to make people moral. No. So what we can do, and, but I, you know, I heard another respected author say that you can know a nation's God by its laws. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when we as a society come together and we prohibit something that we say is in direct contradiction or a violation of what God deems as morally right, when we say that, we are saying that the moral governor of the universe is our God and we, we, he, his, his rule is we're under the auspices of that, which is which is great. I mean, which will, which would then incur upon that nation great blessing. But I think we need to understand that. Let's be honest. That is not the state of our society. The majority yeah. in this country do not. It appears the majority in this country it do not w- want to acknowledge that at this point. So I think you're right. I think that you know maybe the civil union or. Um, it, 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 it poses difficult questions in terms of how we make laws. Yeah. What do you, I mean, what do you, what conclusions have you come to? What do you think? Well, you, I mean, I, cause you have, you know, like the, the case, Supreme court case, uh, Texas v. Lawrence, um, where the, uh, Supreme court overturned, uh, sodomy laws Yeah. when the officers actually came into the apartment for other reasons, but then saw the conduct going on. Yeah. And then went to prosecute them for that actual behavior, yeah, yeah. And which, which is rare. I mean, it would, it would have been rare for anybody to be prosecuted. Exactly, for that anyway. that's right. But but the law on the books still still is instructive to yeah. society. Yeah, and it's, it, like you're saying, it does it does say something about where society is morally, where we are, where we're at with with objective truth. Um, but you know, increasingly, I, I see the move. The movement is really pluralism. And in the, the utter acceptance of all these practices. That's right. But but the crazy thing is that the one thing that does not seem to be accepted is objectivity, which is which is a moral stance, a That's conviction. That's an offense. It is. It's it an is offense an, to take yeah. a position. It's an offense to say that, to be able to say unequivocally that homosexuality is is morally debased. It is. Yeah. And like you said, it doesn't mean that these people are are damned for that. No. I mean, we are damned because of sin apart from the grace and blood of Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah. But but and just because homosexuality happens to be according to Romans 1 is kind of the um the culmination of mm-hmm. depravity. Yeah. That is alarming because what you see is you go through, according to Romans one, you go through a process of, of, of denying the creator, refusing to be thankful, mm-hmm. becoming vain in one's imaginations, having a heart darkened, um, refusing to retain God in their knowledge. And then they're given over yeah. to entirely. the lust of their heart. It's like your, your conscience is entirely seared. That's right. And you have, you can't even perceive when it is that you are morally incorrect. That's right. And that's, I mean, that's, that's the nightmare scenario that that's the nightmare scenario of of collectivism. And that's why we are in more, we lean toward individualism. And, you know, Dustin and I had this, I I used to be heavily, I used to be sort of a student of Ralph Waldo Emerson. And I, I was just, 
you know, ent- entirely, I thought individual, complete, you know, unadulterated individualism was the way that a society should go because my Your idea. Your ran. Yeah, sort of. Because I was like, you know, you leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. But that, that honestly is a fallacy. Um, that's a fiction. That doesn't, you know, what, what my neighbor does in, in the nec- in next door, honestly, you know, it, it will, if it doesn't in that moment, it will eventually have an impact on that's me. That's right. You know, um, but, um, I mean, I think, you know, I think all of, all of this, you know, it's incredibly unpopular to say, you know, what we're saying, especially, you know, especially about the LGBTQ community and, you know, to them, I would just say, you know, what, what makes, what makes the, what truly induces the confusion in our society is this idea that there is no such thing as truth. And I think, I think, you know, I'm not, I'm not a real big fan of imperatives or, 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 or cate- you know, categorical statements, because I think in life there's a lot of gray area. But, mm-hmm. but the thing about truth is that either there is entire, complete truth or there is no truth. There's no such thing as, as half truth that I think f- philosophically speaking that, you know that is a that is a non-entity. So that that is a non-existent um, paradigm. I mean that doesn't. I don't think there's nothing that is only half in existence. Right. You know. So when we say truth, you know, we we think that there is a truth and there is an author of truth, and you can get to know the author of truth. Because the author of truth is is God, obviously God, who exists outside of time, and you know, to the LGBTQ community, I would say, you know, there's the what you're living for right now is, you know, it's it's all you've known, you know, and and what's what's awesome about Christianity is that, you know, you're you're not condemned for any one thing you do. You know, and that's what Dustin and I have been talking about. And, you know, Christianity says that you, you were already condemned when you were born. Right. And it doesn't matter if you're if you're, you know, gay or straight or if you're a pedophile or if you are into bestiality or all know, these very debased. Yeah, yeah. I mean, or, or if or if you're a kleptomaniac or it doesn't, you know, it, people think that if you, you know, God is going to judge you. And, you know, if you, you know, if you sort of do as, as, if you do as, as many good things as you can, you kind of get these credits. Right. And that God's sort of looking at, at your, at your life almost as like a bank account. And as long as you're in, in, in the positive, you're going to go to heaven. Well, that's not true. I mean, the, the truth is that you're, you're in the negative and you'll always be in the negative right. because the, the chasm that separates you from God is, is eternal. Right. I mean, it it is an infinite chasm and, you know, so to the LGBTQ community, I would say there is truth and you were created for a purpose and the purpose you were created for is not mankind. Men and women were created in the image of God and men were created to, to, or women were created, um, in an essence as companions to men. And that's the only, that's the reason why, you know, we're, we harp on this idea that marriage is between a man and a woman because it's a God 
God's institution is marriage. That's right. And, and so that's when we were talking and I was asking that question, you know, about civil unions, you know, my acquiescence is sort of in, in this idea that, you know, I, I'm willing to sort of, I, I'm considering being willing to make this, this concession that, you know, if, if you don't call it marriage, then, you know, I'm almost in a position where I'm, I'm ready to say, you know, you have that freedom. You, right. you can you can construct this civil contract because really what it is a civil union is a contract yeah. much like a marriage contract exactly it's basically just the society recognizing this contract yeah and for example like in um, you know in, during Blackstone which he wrote a great treatise on on the law and that it was the common law in which much of our law in this country was originally took its rise from but the idea of marriage was just that it was a social contract and because the church had such a profound influence in England during that time that even marriages or these contracts, if you will, between um, same-sex individuals were, were voidable. They weren't void or invalid. They were voidable if the church deemed them invalid, mm-hmm. which the church could do. In this country, we don't, that's not the way our government or our society functions. There's a separation there. And so, you know, I think as Christians, I mean, frankly, this country, this city is not our home. No. You know, we here have no continuing city, but we seek one to come wherein righteousness will dwell. And, and as, as long as until Jesus Christ sets his feet on the Mount of Olives, righteousness is not going to this. This place is not going to be necessarily a haven of righteousness. Wickedness will increase like the scripture says. And so I think that while we rec- we need to be able to be confident that we can take positions based on what is true and what is wrong or what is right, that there are objective truths. The fact of the matter is, is that we're seeing a society that is very heterogeneous now. We are not a homogenous society. We don't have common values and belief systems. And so to try to come together as a nation in the true definition of nation, it is nearly impossible. And the Lord Jesus said that when a house is divided against itself, or a kingdom rather, it cannot stand. And we are seeing politically, Even economically, we are seeing that, frankly, we are a heterogeneous society that is very divided. Yeah. And it's problematic when you try to come together to find some general consensus on things as important as law. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that, and that's kind of where I'm at in my, where I'm, I'm, I feel as if it's a healthy concession to make because, right. I, I, I honestly, I think like we were talking about earlier, we, we need to strive to live at peace with all men, with all men. And, and, you know, I don't, I do not desire contention with the LGBTQ community, but it does become a problem because, you know, for, for, for the LGBTQ community to not accept civil unions and see what they're, what they're doing is it's kind of like a boundary in, in a sense where they, they encroach on Christianity when they insist That's right. that we accept that as marriage. And what does the scripture say? By the law is the knowledge of sin. So these laws that are a continual reminder to them that what they're doing is in fact wrong, is an affront to them. And exactly. they will go, and, and any man will, many man, any man who is living in sin and who is continually walking in, in that way, he will do whatever he can to remove the agent or the medium that continues to be a constant voice of 
of acknowledging or telling him that what he's doing is wrong. Yeah. And, and that is really what I think is at the heart of the LGBTQ community and, and they're ironic. It's ironic, you know, that that they, they are in in essence intolerant of Christianity. They're intolerant of what we believe because they insist, you know, marriage is just a label and, and it's been, we've called marriage marriage for, for centuries, you know, yeah. I mean, if you want to extend the Christian legacy into, into the, the centuries of patriarchy that exist, that have existed, you know, especially since 1066 and since the creation of England, I mean, and then from there, the common law, I mean, we, we've, we've had this term for, for a long time and now the LGBTQ community comes along and, and it, it's very representative of their intolerance because they're they're insisting and so it's it's not even really about equality anymore what they're insisting is that we think like them yeah they're ins- insisting that that our moral the the the, uh, the very dictates of our moral conscience be replaced by their version of what morality is right and so if they accept civil unions as the regime or, or not the regime, but sort of the institution whereby they can, they can achieve their ends. Because the thing is they'll be just, they'll likely be just as happy in civil unions as, as we will be in our marriages. Right. Because as the state is concerned, civil unions and marriage are basically the same thing. Legally. Yeah. Legally. So marriage is almost inherently, the idea of marriage is inherently spiritual. It is. And, and, and as God said that a man shall leave his father and mother and he shall be joined to his wife and they shall be one flesh. Mm -hmm. So that is inherently a spiritual reality that can never, I don't care what kind of laws the, the, that community wants to impose upon, on this country. They can never make that relation spiritual. And, you know, and and it goes to this idea of self-evidence, you know, marriage, marriage is a self-evident term. And and I think people misunderstand the term self-evident because they take it to be, it means axiomatic, which is close or obvious, which is close, but it's not quite, it's not quite accurate. Um, because self-evidence is, it's, it's like, it's like a, um, um, how would I put it? It's like saying, so is it, are you saying it? So the self-evidence, is it discovered by right reason? Like your, well, your faculty, the re, the faculty of reason that makes you similar or made in the image of God, you can discover what is true and what is right. Well, it's, it's kind of, honestly, it's kind of like a tautology. It's like, it's like, um, it's like saying if you if you've ever heard the phrase it is what it is. Yeah, right. Well, it's okay. it's, it's sort of a logical leap. Not a leap, but it's it's a logical it's a it's a logical necessity. So so to say the word marriage is to also say man and woman. I agree. That's that's exactly you know, right. It's it's not to say anything other other than man and woman. And so you know what what homosexual couples don't realize is that they will never ever be they will never share the same reality that a man and woman shares because what what men and women experience together is is truly the union of of these polar uh, entities of mankind mm-hmm. you know the, these these pol- these polar forces the the masculine and the feminine right you know the strength and the beauty you know and, and, that, and that goes along you know with we had this idea of the rise of kind of, of, of what we seem to see as effeminate men, that masculinity is something to be looked down upon. That's yeah, derogated. It is. And, yeah. and it's, that's a sad state because man 
having been made in the image of God, that is, that's an, a characteristic or an attribute of himself mm-hmm. that, that men ought to be men and they ought to walk uprightly with dignity. And, and this, 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 all of these things that you just said are, are degrading or debasing that, that condition. Yeah, it is truly. Well, um, you know, I think we've had a very good discussion today. Uh, just, uh, we'll be praying for all of you out there and just thank you for listening and, uh, seek God in all that you do. Just know that truth does exist. All right, everyone, God bless and have a good afternoon.